Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. I'm here at Sweet Recording, and to tell you all about this wonderful studio is my buddy, Joe Ganjemi. What's up, Joe? Yo, Coop. Yes, at Sweet Recording, we help brands and businesses to leverage the power of podcasting and YouTube to generate quality content, amplify the message, and expand their audience in a fun and unique way. Uh, we can help you get started from planning through to publication, and... We also offer mobile recording, live streaming, and even studio design. So lots of things we can do for you. And if you're interested in learning more, you can contact us anytime at hello at sweetrecording.com or visit us on the web at sweetrecording.com. Again, that's S-U-I-T-E. Take it away, Coop. You know, I have an all-female panel today, and then I was telling Jen, one of the guests before, why I like to do a female panel. My mom, okay, my mom was grew up in the Taconi area, a Taconi area of Philadelphia. She was from immigrant parents. Her, her, my grandfather was from what is now Croatia, but then it was Yugoslavia, and my grandmother was from Austria. And uh, in 1952, my mother graduated Temple University with a degree in marketing. Now, back then, women who went to college, they either went to be a teacher or a nurse. My mom was the only female in those marketing classes, and she actually had a job lined up with Campbell's Soup in her senior year. So I always love the input of business. I don't call them business women because they're women who do business. A lot of people call them business women. I love the insight because they, they go through different things. I mean, my mom, I imagine what she went through, but that's why I have their, they're not business women. They're professional, strong women who are in the business world. And uh, my first guest from Canvas Me is Jen Gruber. How you doing, Jen? Good, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming on. And from Century Consulting, we have Julia Brines. What's up, Julia? Hey, what's going on? Thanks for Not having much. me. Thanks. And my buddy who also does, I know from the comedy world, from High Five Performances, Teresa Hummel, Hummel Crowlinger. How you doing, Teresa? I'm doing well today, Steve. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Jen, tell us, tell us more about what Canvas Me is. Well, Canvas Me is one of my many businesses. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, and do business development in all ranges for a lot of different businesses. So Canvas Me was a company that one of my clients started. Uh, she was restless in her career and in the beauty industry. And she saw an opportunity and I convinced her to leave her job and take a big leap and start this company. So as they grew and really penetrated the uh, beauty industry, they brought me on as the chief impact officer uh, to help them really grow the business, make a lot of uh, innovative changes to the industry. And so for their company, uh, as a chief impact officer, I develop a lot of content that teaches mindset and how to be more professional in the in the space and then i also do a lot of strategic partnerships for them as well um, but overall my business is developing uh, businesses and brands to scale often to sell um, i as an entrepreneur built and sold a lot of businesses over my many years as an entrepreneur that i started in 1995 and back then, it wasn't necessarily cool to be an entrepreneur. And and now, thank God, it is. Cool. That's awesome. That's always good. Uh, and now, now, Julia, you're new. You're new to your position. Uh, now, tell us more about Century. Yes. Yeah, so Century Business Consulting uh, started about 12 years ago. Uh, a handful of former big four uh, entrepreneur type thinkers started it, uh, wanting to be an advisor to the accounting firms for their clients. So what we focus on is all the things you need to have a clean audit, have a clean tax filing, have a full accounting department if you don't necessarily want to hire those resources internally, along with some other specialty things like business valuations, forensics and litigation support. Um, we're heavily involved in the life science, technology, manufacturing distribution spaces. So for a life science, as an example, if you wanted to start uh, a particular drug research and development on it, and you needed a capital raise, we assist with that all the way through audit readiness to take you public. Um, but uh, and of course, in partnership with the accounting firms, law firms, uh, and advisors. Okay. And how about you, TK? 
Okay, let me get make sure I'm off mute here. Well, my company is High Five Performance, and I work with leaders to create places where people want to work. So we focus on employee engagement, organizational culture, leadership development, and uh, good best practices. And as you can imagine, uh, post-COVID, business is booming. There's a lot of work. Companies are trying to figure out how do we create a place where people want to stay and are doing their best. So I'm riding the wave. It's awesome. I have great work and I can't even believe I get paid to do it because it's wonderful. Well, now you all have interesting jobs and, and I, everyone has a story. You know, like me, my story from stand-up, living in LA, coming back here and doing what I do. We all have a story and why we do it. How did you get, I'm gonna start with you, Teresa. How did you get to the position you have now? What were your steps? What made you do start High Five Performance? Yeah, so I was blessed. I, I was, uh, my first big job was Prudential and I stayed there for 18 years. And when you work for a company with a brand like that, with an infrastructure like that, you learn amazing best practices, right? So um, at the end of 18 years, I knew I wanted to go out on my own. Um, I, I enjoyed my corporate time, but I was ready to go out and share what I had learned uh, with the world. 22 years later, I'm still doing it. So how did, how did I do it? I made a lot of friends. I did a lot of networking before I left. So if you're going to start your own company, I got to be honest with you, if you don't know people and they don't know you, it's going to be hard. So for probably about five years before I left crew, uh, I was making a lot of connections and I was also building, well, now we call it building our brand. Back then it was kind of building your reputation, but you got to make sure people know what you're good at and that you can be trusted and that you're fun to work with and did all of those things. And hard to believe it's been 22 years. I mean, at most businesses, and, and I'm sure the, the other folks on, on the Zoom know this, many new businesses do not last. They just do not last. So I'm just very, very fortunate to be where I am and, and still doing work, getting work. How about you, Jen? Because you wear like 37 different hats. As you said, you're an author, you're a speaker. I mean, you do a bunch of stuff, but how, I mean, you just, you don't wake up one day and become an author. You know, it's just, unless, you know, you're a genius and you're writing from when you're like eight, but how did you get to where you are now? Because you are, in, in what they can say, you, you're considered an influencer. How did you get to, to where you are? Well, like you, I had a very strong mother and she was a trailblazer in the seventies. Well, I was born in the seventies before me, she was a trailblazer too, but, um, she was running campaigns for politicians in the seventies, had a TV show and was doing things that women back then didn't do. So, uh, in her TV show, she would have a lot of conversations around mindset and what makes somebody great. And I believe looking back on my life, sitting in the TV studio, not happy by the way, sitting in the TV studio, I wanted to be out playing with my friends. Um, but she would have legends on like Steve Carlton and Tug McGraw and, and Ron Jaworski and um, <clears throat> people that other people admire having these conversations. And I believe that really stoked the fire of curiosity and desire to not have mediocrity in my own life. And again, then I didn't know that, but looking back, I believe that's a, a big part of why I went on the path that I did. I started my first business right out of college in 1995 in the fitness industry. The industry was brand new back then. When I told my dad after graduating college, I was going to the fitness industry. He was like, what, what is, what is that? Like, that's not even a thing. And, uh, I became a national level fitness competitor. I worked for Reebok on the aerobics performance team and learned actually influencer marketing back then. Now that we didn't call it that there was not a term for it back then, but we were humanizing the steps and the slides and all this fit, fitness equipment and apparel and shoes and, and really making a movement of an industry. So watching that and observing that and being part of that definitely also influenced how I was going to create my career. And back then I was surrounded by authors and speakers and it became normal. Like 
you just become an author. So um, then I moved to QVC and did a lot of um, brand development on, with other brands and then my own brands on QVC. And, you know, my mom used to say when you're around bad behavior enough, it becomes normal. But if you're also around good behavior enough, that also becomes normal. And so I always chose to be in environments where people were doing great things and I felt like I was slacking and I had to keep rising and climbing and doing things. And um, I believe that's true. Uh, so so I became an author and, and doing all the things I'm doing just to keep spreading messages and being part of movements and um, sharing my story, just like all the other women on here. You take your life experiences, your bumps, your bruises and the successes and you share them with other people to hope, inspire, or keep people from making the same mistakes. And as an entrepreneur, I made plenty of mistakes. So I try to help people not make those mistakes and uh, aspire for greatness, whatever their their potential is to aspire for that for themselves. Okay. And how about you, Julia? Because you know I've known you from different positions. You're with a new position. But how did you get to where you are and what you do? Yeah, so my family came from a background of service, so military, police, uh, voting booth workers, things like that. And because of it, I always wanted to leave whoever I met, uh, whatever I touched, better off in some direction, whether it was just an inch or if it was extremely better off um, after I helped them do whatever it was. So they called me and my family the fixer. So I went into banking because I had a family and I needed set hours and I was in banking for 16 years and like Teresa and Jen, like grew my network through all the service communities and organizations by giving back to the towns that I worked in, giving back to larger organizations, things like that. Um, and then got tired of the, we'll call the corporate world and wanted to do more with privately owned companies and help them kind of get out of um, lack of good vendor management. So went into private equity, then into the accounting professional services industry. And it's really my passion to work with business owners, entrepreneurs, now publicly traded companies to have a global perspective come into the conversation. So you know, as a business owner, there's always problems. You always have a list of to-dos, what keeps you up at night, all the things you have to have your hand in to get where you need to be. Um, and then my perspective is looking at all the things, the whole, the global perspective um, and getting it out of the weeds so that as an entrepreneur, you can have that vision and, and take your company where it wants to go and fill the, the weed positions and all the things that have to be done daily um, with the people that have those capabilities and should be doing them and allow the business owners to, to grow the companies um, and get out of the office. Okay. So now I'm with Century and doing that. Um, and just like Teresa and Jen said, you have to have a network to be able to go to that level. You know, we're a global national company and being able to bring that perspective to business owners is is, is a passion of mine. Okay, so you, you all have a good track record. It shows you're doing something right. I want to ask you, and we'll, we'll start with you, Jen. What motivates you? You know, I mean, that's no, no one really asks that question. You see the bullshit people post on LinkedIn, you know, telling you this and this. And, oh, you got to do this. But what, when push comes to shove, like me, I really don't have a lot of motivation. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I get my guests. I'm going to stay, whatever. I just, it's a bad bomb. I'm a procrastinator. But what motivates you, Jen? Two college tuitions right now. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it is legit. But, um, you know, I mentioned when I was explaining how I got into entrepreneurship and, and my mom's story. And I, as a kid, developed this um, fear almost, or just not disdain, but an unsettled feeling of mediocrity for myself. And that then makes you become um, fueled by productivity fueled by crossing off things on your to-do list, fueled by your goals being succeeded. And so that motivates me. I always create audacious goals and I create my daily to-do lists. And those daily to-do lists lead to the monthly goals and the yearly goals. And, um, and 
I really love succeeding. I love productivity. I love feeling purposeful. And, and that's what motivates me is that sense of purpose and feeling like I'm doing something impactful in the world. And you know, with my clients, when I'm setting up a, a deal for them or a, a introduction for a strategic partnership, I take that success for them personally, like for myself as well. And so um, I actually probably use that as even more fuel than I do for myself and my own desires to see them win and succeed. So, um, you know, ultimately it's that sense of being purposeful and, and having a clear vision of what I want to do in the world that keeps me motivated. And people always joke about, you know, when you retire and I'm, I always say, I don't think I'll ever be able to retire. Like I will always be doing something. That's cool. That's cool. Well, how about you, Julia? What motivates you, Julia? Yeah. So very similar to Jen, um, just wanting to always do better for myself, um, continuously growing emotionally, professionally, physically, um, and then helping all of my clients and friends do the same. Like I, I definitely follow a, a values principles, um, doing the right thing, like the, putting the cart back at the, the grocery store, things like that. So that's my motivator to just continuously do better, not thinking that you're ever perfect, um, not judging those who, you know, maybe farther behind you or, or being jealous of those who are ahead of you, but honestly, just being as humble as possible to, to just get yourself to where it is that you're content with your life, um, and then help those along the way doing the same, um, I feel like our society um, and the business community and, you know, social is very judgmental towards everyone, not just certain, you know, minorities, but, you know, everyone and just trying to be um, a sounding board for those things and get you through with the right resources to what you need to, to be successful. It's funny you brought up how people look at people. I always said I would rather have a beer with a dishwasher who has an integrity than a CEO who's full of shit. I mean, that's just yeah. that's just my view. Teresa, what what motivates you? I think it's uh, I could see over my corporate years we spend a lot of time at work, a lot of time at work, and some people live for the little bit of time they have after work as if they're putting their life on hold until they get that little bit in the evening and maybe some vacation time and weekend. No, no. I think joy should be 24 seven. I think you should go to work and look forward to going and knowing that you're going to have some awesome conversations with people you enjoy and work for a boss that genuinely cares about you and understands you and have some fun at work. Right? Like we do not park our soul at the door when we walk into a company, it, it should come with us. And I have been in situations where work was a joy and I wanna create that in other places. And, and I love the leaders that want to do that. They just don't know how. They're like, hey, I want people to be happier. I just, I, that's where I can help. Let me show you the path. Here's things you can do. So I think just valuing time motivates me. I want people to value their time. Don't mail it in. Be fully present and be embracing life at work, outside of work. Um, and know who you are. Live your purpose. Understand what it is that you can do to add the most value. And Jen, I can feel it coming off of you. When you're adding value, you know, it's a joy for, for you to help. Yes, absolutely. So, so that's, that's my passion. And, and what I love is over the years, I can tell you so many stories of companies who, and leaders who have, have flipped a switch and created great workplaces. They went from having terrible engagement surveys to making best place to work lists. How does that happen? Well, you do stuff, you do stuff. So that is my motivator. I love that's it. All, that's awesome. Now, now we're in a new year. It's February, God, it's already February. Um, 
What is a challenge? We'll start with you, Julia. What is a challenge that you overcame last year? And it can be professional. It can be personal. Like, you know, I've had health challenges in the problem, and I've overcome them. And now, you know, I'm on the straight and narrow. You know, my body's back in shape, and I'm like, heart's all good. But what is something that you, a challenge that you overcame last year that makes you proud? I mean, well, I said, we'll start with you, Julia. Yeah. So I've always been everyone to everybody in my family. Um, so it was being able to set the boundaries um, successfully with, you know, delegating to the right people in my family so that, you know, I could have a work-life balance. And very much like Teresa, I love where I work, the places I've worked. I've only had one bad experience with bosses. So the energy I get from being there and loving what I do is great. And then also with my kids and, and their demands and things like that. Um, but it was it was basically being able to not have to be everything to everyone or believing I had to be because others either couldn't or wouldn't do the task at hand. Um, and I was successful in, in in changing that in my life last year. So that to me, even though it's personal, it does affect work, um, was really great. And, and actually learning how to say no to things um, and not having to be, you know, yeah, I can go. Yeah, I can go. Sure. You know, that kind of thing. So it took me a long time to do that because I didn't want to disappoint anybody that meant something to me. Um, but realizing that if you just say why, it's no problem. So that was my success last year. How about you, Teresa? What's what's the uh, challenge you overcame uh, last year that you're, you're that makes you proud that you can go? Yeah, I'm proud. Oh my gosh, I did a crazy thing. Okay, and I did it on a whim. I didn't even think it through. Um, so I signed up for a year long course at Wharton to be uh, certified as a chief human resource officer, right? Year long program, courses every week, homework, papers, the whole shebang. It was the best thing I've done in a long time. It was crazy hard. I mean, there were weeks where I'm like, I, I don't even know. I don't even know if I can do this. But I got through, I wrote the papers, and the best thing that came out of that, one, knowing that I could do it, and I did, check it off my list, two, people that I met. Oh, my goodness. People all over the world, global HR leaders are now in my circle of friends. So, you know, it's been a long time since I've gone to school. I don't know about anybody else. It's been a long time. And I, I honestly didn't know if I was up for it, but that was huge. I did it. I got the certificate, and uh, and I'm better for it. Big, big challenge. School is crazy. Yeah, 14 years ago, I was a corporate marketing manager for a restaurant. I had to take a class at UCLA, and it was just weird to walk onto campus. Oh, I'm yeah. like, I haven't been to college. I graduated college in '86. I'm like, what? What? You know? And I'm like, uh, they probably yeah. think I'm like either some creepy dude walking around or a professor. <laughs> um, Jen, uh, a, a something, an accomplishment. I mean, a challenge that you overcame last year, a challenge that you overcame last year that, that makes you makes you proud and you go, man, I, I'm good. I would say it's, uh, you know, my kids are sophomores in college now. And that year last year was new for me. I went from two kids at home to no kids. And it was really like, mind-blowing at first like we what I don't need to like get home and make dinner or have lunches ready or what do I do with all this new free time uh so I jumped back into uh some of the things in my career that I was doing when they were younger uh and then in their you know last years of middle school and high school I dialed back to be more present uh you know bigger kids can have bigger problems. And one of my mentors told me early on, race now in your career. And so when they're in middle school and high school, you can be more present. So I heeded that advice and, and I was, I wanted to be around for all of their, their things and be the mom driving everywhere and hearing the conversations in the car. So last year I took on some new clients that were in industries that I hadn't been a part of yet. And uh, there's ignorance, there's bliss in ignorance in the sense that um, sometimes it's good to have a perspective of things when you don't know too much and you're not jaded by it's done that way. Everyone does it that way. But then there's also this like 
feeling where it can make you a little unconfident of, well, I don't know this industry that well. Uh, so last year I was uh, feeling that in some of the different um, clients and situations that I had. And, you know, it makes you kind of want to pause and go back to that little kid self and be like, can I do this? What made me think I could do this? And uh, pushing through that, it, it, it's invigorated me and my career and my passion for life more than ever, uh, learning new things and being a part of things that I didn't know before and being curious and willing to be a sponge and learn. And so when you're, uh, I'd say the advice of all of that too is when you're getting into a new place or phase or uh, situation in life that you're unsure and don't know is a massive opportunity for growth. And while it can be scary, it's equally, if not more invigorating to your life and passion. And uh, I believe when you grow, you're happy. Happiness equals growth. And um, so staying in a place of growth to create happiness is the biggest takeaway from all of it. Okay. Well, now, you know, we know some challenges you overcame and you all seem like people who write down goals. I don't, I might write a list, but I'm not a goal writer. I have it in my head. Like I'm, I've been working on two books that are all in my head, but I haven't sat down and written. I'm like, gee, why don't I just sit down and write it? And, and you, if you know, all if you write, you sit there and you go, oh yeah, I'm going to write, but you start cleaning your desk. But then when you actually start writing, you love it, but it's that thing. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to the grocery store instead of writing a chapter on this book. But what is one goal? We'll start with you, Teresa. What is one goal you've made for yourself in 2024 that is that you it's very important to you? One goal. Oh my gosh, Steve, you already touched on it. And like you, I've I've had this book for years. I actually wrote this book three years ago. It's written, dude, written. It's there. And I sat on it. So this year, and I and I knew I couldn't do it by myself. That's why, as you were talking, Steve, I'm like, I'm going to follow up with him because I'm going to make sure he gets that book. You cannot do it by yourself. At least I couldn't. So I reached out to, uh, there's a gentleman down in North Carolina. His name's Eddie. And he is a book publishing partner. So he takes you through the steps to make sure each thing is done, introduces you to the people who helps you get like you need a, a, an editor a proofreader i need a layout person he knows all those people it will get done this year steve next time we talk uh, next year we're, we'll be on a podcast together that book will be published and the book is called um well the name might change but it's about managing your career for life so it's from graduation to grave it is you will always have work if you do these things so that's my goal for the year get that book out and help people with their career. That's good. I'm actually going to do a quick plug. I actually have a book, people. It's a cookbook I wrote 10 years ago. It's called Stop the Salt, and it's a low-sodium uh, cooking yeah. for one without killing yourself. It's when I was single in L.A., and I had uh, congestive heart failure, and I had to change my diet. So you can go on Amazon. I make, like, $4 a month off it. It's a bestseller, people, $4 a month. And I got one three-star three, uh, review, and I wanted to write the guy and shut up. Anyway. Jen, a goal for you, for one goal that you're looking forward to in 2024. So it's a somewhat of an indirect answer, but uh, for all of my clients, one of my main roles is strategic partnerships. And so for each one of my clients, um, I created a, a goal, a really audacious goal for each one separately. And it varies depending on in industry of how many new deals I was bringing them and creating for them. So obviously that adds to my, my bottom line and livelihood. But as I mentioned earlier, sometimes, especially women, I feel when we're cheering for somebody else and we're attaching our goal to see somebody else succeed drives us even more. And so, um, seeing all my clients succeed is, is really important to me. So the big goal lies within those smaller goals for all of my clients throughout the year. And they're pretty audacious. Uh, they're pr some of them might even be a little scary, um, but it's very exciting. 
And Julia, because well, Julia, I'm sure because you're at a new job, I'm sure you have a shitload of goals. I mean, I'm sitting there. But what's your biggest goal with your new position? Yeah, with my new position, I mean, the goals are probably 10 times higher than what I've been in for a couple of years. So it's a whole new thing and I'm energized to to meet them. But similar to what Jen said, I'm overseeing a couple of divisions where I'm helping each of the uh, transaction partners build their books, like by pulling my partners and client base in. And so I'm going to find success in helping them meet their goals. Um, and then on the other side, like Teresa, I want to sign up for the Wharton School and do the Executive Leadership MBA program. So okay. those two. That's awesome. Now this one, it's and I'm going to bring this up because it's an all-female panel. And uh, I'm going to start this by saying, I'm not a Swifty, but I, I like Taylor Swift. I actually listened to Red Taylor's version the other day. I'm a big backer of her. It's funny, I just found out a buddy of mine used to babysit her. His He was her He's friends with her dad. They live next to each other in Seattle City. And, you know, she's such, she's really fascinating what she does. I mean, you know, the women are watching football for her. She, there's classes taught about her. She, she gives to charities and doesn't blow her own horn. And, and she's great to her fans. And I think she gets a lot of uh, bad press. People are bitching about seeing her TV. The same stuff doesn't happen to guys. Like when Jack Nicholson was in a Lakers game, people are like, oh, yeah. It's Jack. It's Jack. But Taylor, like, oh, I'm tired of seeing Taylor. Why do you think she gets a bad deal? Because you're all women of power. You're all successful women. You know, that's what I would think. You know, if I had a daughter, I would want her to strive to be someone like Taylor Swift. But it's not only guys who are giving her shit. I see on on link on Facebook, people are like. Oh, we're tired of her. Well, she's the biggest star in the world. Okay, that's a thing. So we'll start with you, Jen. Why do you think that Taylor, and this is because this will air right before the Super Bowl and people are going to bitch, oh, I'm doing tired of seeing her, even though they saw her for 33 seconds last game out of three hours. Why do you think she gets such, a, such, such hate towards her? Well, before I answer that question, I would like to address that, unfortunately, human nature is that of, and this is a general statement, people like to be negative more than positive. So they wanna find fault in people and things and to, to say things that really, like, why do you hate her? You don't even know her, right? Um, I think she gets backlash though, because, um, you know, somebody said it the other day and and I, I it resonated with me and I understood they said she's 34, but often acts a lot younger. And, and obviously she's tailoring to her fan base, which are mostly teenagers, right? So I think a lot of women might feel like she acts very immature um, in many ways, like, especially if you're talking about the football game and the little dance and, and things that people gave her a lot of backlash about. But um, you know, for, for guys, you know, they, it's different. You see like Jack Nicholson or whatever you said, um, it's different to see all the attention go to a female into a, a sporting event, but, you know, ultimately too, being in the entertainment industry for so long, they're doing it on purpose. They prop people up on purpose. And so they prop them up to their fame, but then they, allow them to deal with the demise themselves too. So it's not an easy world in that in the entertainment space. Uh, it comes with a lot of great privilege, but you have to, like Taylor, develop really tough skin because people are coming at you and attacking you and and hating on you when they don't even know you. And that's that's my biggest beef of it all is how did people have such venom and hatred towards anyone they don't know is bizarre to me. But Sadly, our world connects more on complaints than it does praise for other people. It's true. And, and I, I praise the Tay-Tay. I, I like her. Uh, <laughs> Julia, Julia, uh, what's, what's, what's your take on it? Well, I think as a whole, um, not just our society, but across the world, um, folks are insecure for so many reasons. So whether it be you're too fat or you're too thin or their, you know, your hair, like all those physical attributes. 
then financially, you know, if you are not successful or you're not taught the security of how to become a good, you know, successful person in, in business, um, a lot of people just have insecurities in all ways. And I think that her being put up on a pedestal allows for those to just cut her down because if you cut someone else who's better than you down, it makes you feel better about yourself. Um, it shouldn't, but it seems to. I mean, all I mean, I went through. I, I moved four times in my adolescence, and having to make friends with new, completely new people, and all the things you become what I call a chameleon. Um, you blend into whatever situation you're in, in the communities you're in. Um, and she stands her ground. She is who she is. She works hard, and she, uh, like Jen said, she caters to her her crowd and. But she does good, like she does so much good and she's, you know, been successful at a young age and came from a, a good family. And so the I'd say the majority of the world doesn't have the resources that she did and it makes it, you know, in, the insecurity just comes out. So I'm a huge supporter of Taylor Swift and I think she's a very strong woman, um, but I think our society plays on it. And it allows for that kind of talk because they're not supporting the world, as you can see in our current situation in the United States. You know, their American citizens aren't even being, you know, valued over non-citizens. So it's it's a very interesting time, um, and I think just people like to have something to complain about because that can control that. How about you, Therese? Yeah, it hurts my heart to watch this. I have to be honest, and certainly on social media. And Steve, you and I are connected. I can see on Facebook everybody. I, you know, giving their opinion about this, but it, I think it goes back to, there's something I learned probably 20, 25 years ago. I was part of a women's leadership group uh, in New York. And one of the things they talked about is how for years and years, there was an old boys network and the old boys network helped each other. And there really wasn't an old girls network, which is why this woman founded um, it's a group called Women Unlimited. I know it sounds like a brothel, but it's not. It's actually a very reputable uh, leadership development program. So the woman who founded it was one of the first executives um, in a rental car company. So she kind of made it to where she needed to be and she wanted to show us. But she said, sometimes women were like crabs in a basket. And when a crab starts to get to the top to get out, others pull them down. And <laughs> I never lost that visual. I never lost that visual. And I thought, oh my God, I am not going to be somebody who pulls someone else down. I'm going to be someone who pushes them over the top so they get where they're going. But I think that crabs in a basket metaphor is still alive and well. Here's this woman that is successful beyond success. I mean, beyond our wildest dreams. And it's like, we, we got to pull her back a little bit. And, um, and it's sad, it's sad, but uh, it is a reflection of society and, uh, and it just really hurts my heart. She's beautiful, she's talented, she's wonderful. Go Taylor. It's funny, you mentioned the women's uh, network and that brings me to my next question. See segues people, it's all about segues. Um, it's 2024, we all know that. And uh, we all network a lot, we get out there. And I still, you know, I'm not, but I'm part of the demographic in networking as the creepy old guy, okay? Because there's still a boys club out there, okay? Luckily, I have a beautiful wife, so people know I'm not trying to hit on them. I'm not a creep, okay? And uh, do you think there's still a guys club out there? And what can women do to change it? Because, you know, I'll be honest, it bothers me if I'm at an event and just call me old fashioned. Someone goes, oh, yeah, that girl's hot. Or I see like some guy with like some really taking a picture with some really good looking young girl thinking like people are going to think, oh, yeah, she's she's into you. And they aren't. They're like, you you could be my grandfather, for Christ's sake. But do you, do you think there's still a guys club out there? And, and what can women do to break it down? Because I still see it. And we'll, we'll start with you, Jen. Do you think there's still a guys club? The You know, like the cigar smoke hey, 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 chicks do you still think there is that mentality and, and 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 through your years of networking has it at least decreased a little bit honestly i feel like i figured out early on in my career how to be part of it uh and not alienate myself by a perspective that kept me out of it um i was a tomboy growing up i played sports 
Uh, I played with all the guys in the neighborhood more than the girls. Uh, so I could, and, and in high school, like I hate drama. I don't like girl drama when you're in high school and things like that. So I stayed away from it. And I was the girl that became friends with a lot of groups, but never infiltrated in one space too long because then drama ensues. So um, I would always hang out with the guys. I mean, when all my guy friends started getting married because I couldn't be a groomsman, I was the reader in all of their weddings. So um, I never really felt that way, I think, because I was always like one of the guys as a, a girl uh, growing up. And, and I think when you think that way, when a woman is entering a uh, corporate world especially and thinks that way you get in your head and you create this energy or this wall or barrier and, and and not even know a lot of times women don't even realize they're doing it but it's this like defensiveness that makes them less approachable and I talk to young women about it all the time because if you're thinking this you're going to project an energy around it so um you know, in my career, actually, sadly, more women have kept me from my success than men have. Uh, and so um, I, I think that it, it, it's morphed, really. And a lot of women who are successful figured out how to coexist and not let that be their mental barrier. Um, and you know, a lot of my greatest mentors have been men too. So um, my perception, my personal perception around that topic is, is different. Um, the only time I actually really, really felt it was when I entered the accessories industry and in New York. And it is definitely, it, it still is an old boys club. And I went to my dad who was born in 1933 and was definitely like a male chauvinist for sure. So I went to him and I said, how do I school you? Like, how do I get over on you? And he gave me advice and I was young at the time. And, and basically he was like, you know, you don't, what, what happens is sometimes women try to prove too much in those circles. And, and instead like, just kind of fly under the radar and outwork them and your goals, your success will show them who you are and your character. So um, keeping your word and following through and, and outworking other people, those are the things they're going to see. So, um, but yeah, like I said, when I encountered it early in my career, I went to the source and said, how do I, how do I navigate you in this world? Okay. Now, how about you, Julia? Do you, do you, do you see it out there? Uh, I definitely see it out there, but very, I'm similar to Jen. I grew up um, in Maine, and so tomboy uh, out and about on four-wheelers and dirt bikes, and the majority of the people I was with uh, were men and boys, and I also kind of run the other direction from drama and don't have, I actually have more guy friends than girlfriends for the same reason that Teresa said. They're always, I've had more women try to keep me down than men in my experience. Um, but the situations I would get involved and you know, I would have where there was a, a male chauvinist and things like that, I didn't come in, you know, as a dominant, I just had conversations slowly outworked, you know, infiltrated from the ground up, not the outside in and it, and it works fine. Um, and I don't treat women and men like women and men. I treat them as humans and I don't like say, oh, well, you're in this group or you're here and I have to treat you this way. I just treat everybody equally and have intelligent conversations across the board and it's and it's fine. I also became really good at and funny. I talked to my dad about this too when there's a lot of the older generation that'll just say things and they don't realize that it's even wrong um because they that's how they grew up. So I learned how to how to combat it where if somebody came at me in the wrong way, I would you know easily combat it and have a conversation that wasn't passive aggressive that wasn't you know heated and then they're like they're very much enlightened by the conversation and it and it made 
for the better. And as well as the men that are coming up and, you know, that are our age, um, they're different. They're just different now, um, which is nice. So in my perspective that it's, it's definitely changed. Um, but again, it's your, it is your mindset on how you, you walk into the situation. Okay. How about you, Teresa? I'm going to look at this from two perspectives. First perspective, corporate America. Um, is there still a boys club? Kind of. But what I find now, it's more of an influence club. So there's people who have means, who have influence, and you're either in the club or you're not in the club, or you're in the fringe wanting to be in the club. So that is impactful. And I think generationally, and Julia, you started to lean into this, generationally, we're starting to get to a place where it's not an old boys club. I mean, even just the games we played as kids when, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, we we play house, we play Barbies, right, as women. Men would play sports. The, the goal of house and Barbies was just to be nice to each other and collaborate. The goal of sports is what? To win, right? So we get into the working world having learned how to live our life through play. And it was very different what our goals were. Now, boys and girls are playing the same games. They're playing video games, they're both playing sports. So, so we're starting to shape our people in the workplace through play to be more equal and see each other as equals. Now I wanna look at the comedy world, Steve. I'm gonna look at the comedy world because I gotta be honest with you, we have not made as much progress there. Um, I, I have still, within the last five years, I got a call from a booker. He says, look, I don't typically book women, but they requested you. And I thought, well, that's just lovely. But this, it, Steve, we're still facing this in comedy. 13, I, I forget where I got this data, 13% of paid comedians are women, 13%. Why? Because it is still not a world that welcomes women. Women comics are still fighting. So we, we got we to gotta make our way, even though we're very funny. I, I will say something about that, though. When I was in L.A., I had a weekly show called Cooper's Angels, and I only booked female <laughs> comics. Oh, uh, at Flappers, at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank. They always screwed it up. They'd say, they'd write on the sign, Cooper's Angles or Cooper's Angeles. I'm like, you can't get angels right? It's not a tough word. So I met you all through networking. You're all good networkers. Julia, what makes you a good networker? Um, hmm. Wanting to develop a relationship, not close a sale, is my, you know, learn who they are, how I can help. Um, I'm a go-giver, always have been. Interestingly enough, on our previous topic, I just got invited to a men's only networking group that they're opening up to women now. So on the whole, you know, evolution of that, it's kind of great, but it's really just follow-up relationship, how we can help each other. We're all trying to grow and do better. So that that's what I think makes me a good networker and always trying to connect people who may not know each other for as a mutual, um, you know, beneficial relationship. How about you, Teresa? What makes you a good networker? Oh my gosh, everything Julia said, everything. I was gonna say go-giver. If you haven't read the book, The Go-Giver, read the book. Um, being a person that is focused on making other people whole, getting what they need, making the connection for them is so joyful. And it it's like a boomerang, right? So you put it out there, you're throwing this love out there and this connection, it comes back. And you don't do it for it to come back, but it always does. And if you continuously every day make a good connection, give a good piece of advice, lift somebody up, uh, whatever it is that you do, you are building this pot of amazing energy and it, it always comes back. So that's same philosophy as Julia, go give her. How about you, Jen? Well, not to sound like a copycat, but I definitely want to echo everything that Teresa and Julia said. Um, but in first grade, I was tied to my chair with yellow yarn. The memory is still clear as it was that day uh, by Sister Elizabeth, because I was roaming around the classroom, curious as to what everybody else was doing. <laughs> and Sister Elizabeth kept me there until my mom picked me up from school. And 
Sister Elizabeth thought I was going to be in trouble by my mom, but I learned a very valuable life lesson from my mom to Sister Elizabeth that day. And my mom said to Sister Elizabeth, she's curious and she likes to connect with people. And that's one of life's most important skills. And I want her to be flourishing in that and not having it squashed. So um, that, that seed was planted very early on. And thank God it was my nature to be curious and connecting with people, building, like Julia said, relationships and um like Teresa said, connecting people, I love, like I get a high off of connecting people. I mean, I love it. And it's funny because it's an abundant mindset. It's not a transactional mindset. And you need to have faith in life working out the way it's supposed to with an abundant mindset. And it's funny through the years, how many girlfriends have said to me, don't you hate when you introduce people and they kind of like go off and do their thing without you. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I love it. I don't have enough time to be overly obsessed with what everybody else is doing. If I connect people and they go become best friends or do a business deal together, like that's awesome because it's karma and it will come back whether it's through them and whether it's not, it still comes back around and, and it's very intentional. I pause in my life and think about who didn't I talk to for a while, or if somebody pops in my mind, I have a rule with myself to reach out to that person and just say, Hey, how you doing? Just wanted to check in. And just yesterday I was on a call with this guy who I spoke for their company before, and we became friends after, and he would ask me business advice and I just caught up with him. It was the new year. I wanted to see how his new job was going. And he said, you know, Jen, one of the things I appreciate about you the most is that you keep connected. You keep reaching out and checking in on me. And it's really that simple. It's just about being intentional and, and being authentically desiring to connect in a way with people to find out even how they are or what can I do for you? How can I help you? Those are some of my my common desires. And, and so I believe those are the, everything Julia and Teresa said uh, and, and adding that abundant versus transactional mindset is how you really develop an incredible network. And like one of my mentors said, when I was 25, is your network, is your net worth mentally, physically, spiritually, and financially? Okay. Well, here's something, Teresa, you mentioned uh, the Go-Giver book, and uh, I always like to find out, what's a book, and you can't say that one, Teresa, because you already said it. I always ask this question, what is a book, one book that you've, uh, that's made a difference for you? You know, you know what, what's made you... Uh, wow. What's one book that, you know, and I don't read business books. Like, you know, I'm, I mean, I read like Motley Crue, The Dirt and stuff like that. I have, I have no interest in business books, but what <laughs> I have, I'm being honest, but, but I, I, I'm, I can tell you're all very uh, well versed in books. You just, you you look like the business book reading crowd, which is a good thing. What's a book, and you can't say your own book either, Jen, but we'll start with you since you wrote a book. What's one book, it's a brief answer. What's one book that has made a difference for you? Um, it's a spiritual book and it's called sacred contracts. Um, and I read that back in my twenties when I was doing a lot of soul searching about what life is about. And, uh, it, it it's a very deep book, um, but it was very profound and influential in a lot of the, as a precursor to a, a lot of the books that have followed in the, in the, in the 20 some years after that. Okay. How about you, Teresa? Also a spiritual book. And I love the book that you picked, Jen. I've read that too. It's awesome. Uh, this book introduced to me by a friend, oh gosh, maybe 25 years ago, called Discover the Power Within You. Discover the Power Within You by uh, an author, Eric Butterworth. I don't even think he's still around anymore. But it talks about um, we have what we need within us to make great things happen. And, you know, certainly growing up in a faith that kept telling me that I was not worthy. We, we, like we would actually say, I am not worthy. Um, this book shifted that mindset for me to say, I am worthy. 
and we're all worthy. So the power within you, Eric Butterworth, big shift. Awesome. Cool. How about you, Julia? So many books. Uh, the one that's top of mind is something called The Power of Moments. Um, it focuses on being engaged, being present, um, making a seamlessly remedial situation remember like people will remember it um and just being just with them when you're talking to them and for for personal business um any kind of relationship uh that really resonated with me because we're in this society of electronics and texting and emailing and taking photos the whole time that you're in you know any kind of situation and it, it really changed that whole mindset of mine to um to just focus on the moment at hand and and make it as great as you can. Okay. Well, here's my final question. I always ask this, you know, because, and I want to hear your answer because I'm very interested in it. Um, you know, let's say you meet someone who's a, I don't think it could be out getting out of high school, getting out of college, you know, changing jobs, thinking to go to trade school. And as my mom would say, they're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. That was her saying. They're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, Stephen. What's the advice you give them? How, how, did, how, did, how should they navigate conquering and just getting involved in the work world, the workplace. What advice would you give to them? We'll start with you, Jen. What advice would you give to someone who comes up to you and goes, Jen, um, I, I, how, do I, how do I succeed? How do I put all this shit together? What would you tell them? Well, there's a saying that um, is a big part of my first book that I live by is have more fear of regret than failure. And if you live with that premise, you'll take chances. You will face your fears. Even when you're not confident, you'll move forward. You'll realize, and for me, it was a moment where I wasn't living to my potential and my kids were very little. And I was sitting literally on a rocking chair on my front porch and reading a magazine that had a story about these guys that had very successful idea. And I had had an idea just like that. And I didn't proceed with it. And they were making hundreds of millions of dollars with it. So that pit of regret at that moment was so profound that I never wanted that pit of regret ever again in my life. And I realized that if I had more fear of that regret than I did of actually failing, I could take on anything that would be an obstacle or or fear. And so that's one of the most prof profound realizations and pieces of advice I give everybody. Okay, how about, how about you, Julia? So I do this a lot. And one of the things I always say is figure out something that you truly love, whatever it is, and then focus on monetizing it for work. Um, and a lot of that is soul searching, like, for my, I'm, I'm going through it with my older daughter right now, kind of figuring out what she really is passionate about because I came from a school where it's like, get a job, do this, do it. And it really had nothing to do with what I liked, you know? And I feel like if you are into it personally, what Teresa says, you'll enjoy it the whole time you're doing it, whether you're working or being in personal social situations. So that's what I, one of the things I tell the young kids, that um, graduates that I meet. How about you, Teresa? I think it's always learn and grow like you're never done. So when you work in a corporation and those of you that have, you know, this, we usually have this thing called a professional development plan, right? Everybody does their professional. And we're kind of like, all right, what do I got to fill this limit? No, everybody should have. Don't worry about your company. This is for you. You want to say to yourself, here we are today was a February 2nd of two, uh, 2024. A year from now, I am going to be better in some way. I'm going to have something new. I'm going to have conquered something. What is that? And be thoughtful about it. I have a development plan every year. I have a development plan this year. On my list is something that I wanted to kind of push to the side, but I can't. AI. AI is, we got to face it. It's here. Got to do it. So I got to take a deep dive. So have a development plan and every year look back and say, I am better than I was last year for having focused on this and done something. Learn and grow. This, this was great today. Uh, you guys have been great guests. Uh, guys, I, I mean, you women. I always That's say right, guys. I never, 
you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sexist. Damn you, Steve. I can't believe. No, uh, you can how, say it's uh, a Philly thing. I know. Uh, how can people get in touch with you and find out what you're up to? Jen, what's your website or whatever? How, that's the best place. JenGruber.com. And um, I'm very active on social media, Facebook, Instagram, mostly, and LinkedIn as well. So uh, when people communicate with me there, I communicate right back pretty quickly. I just sent you a friend request yesterday because you're on the show. So uh, yeah. on Facebook, uh, uh, Julia, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, same social media has all my information. Just call me. It's easier. But it, my email is jbryans at centuryconsulting.com. And Teresa. So I have, I have two websites, uh, Teresa HK Comedy. And I also have highfiveperformance.com. Either place you're going to find my email address and uh, come to a comedy show. I got a nice show. Uh, I got shows coming up more. I'm doing more comedy, Steve, now than I have in my whole career. It is crazy. But go out to Teresa HK Comedy, uh, grab a show if you're local, and uh, come out and, and see me. People, and also you can reach me at thecooptank at yahoo.com. If you're interested in advertising, uh, hit me up. You know, it's sponsor for the show. I interview shakers and movers in the business world. And a lot of people who watch the show and listen to it are also shakers and movers. So it's a great way to get your brand across. Um, also go to my celebrity uh, interview website, coopertalk.net. I'll be posting, I just had one of the stars of the first season of Reacher on. And next week I'll be posting uh, Artemis Pyle, who was a drummer for Leonard Skinner. I've done 995 episodes on that. Uh, follow this show. Like it. Go to the uh, YouTube. Search the Coop Tank. Comedy. Uh, I'll be at Pizzeria Uno Saturday. January 24th, I mean, February 24th. And I have a new show coming out called Lyrics and Laughs. I'll be doing a show with Nigel Bennett, who was in an 80s band called The Members. It's going to be at Studio 67 in Medford on March 30th. It's going to be me doing 15 minutes of comedy, him doing 35 minutes in the acoustic set, and then me interviewing. So I just want to give a shout out to Joe Gangemi and Rich DeSisto down here at Sweet Recording. Hit them up. Hello at sweet, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com for all your needs. I'm Steve Cooper. Y'all have a great weekend. And go listen to some Taylor Swift. All right.